Welcome to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of Scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of Philippians. The letter to the Philippian church is a letter of friendship and thanksgiving at its core, and it reveals really a close relationship between Paul and this particular church in the city of Philippi. There is a deep level of affection that is evidenced in this letter that really stems from the Philippian church's partnership with Paul, as he says in the gospel, that this church seemed to be really invested in Paul and in his ministry. And uh, as a result, Paul had a strong affection for them and a strong connection with them. And, And this letter evidences that in multiple ways. One, just in the tone of the letter, but two, in what really spurred this letter on and in how this letter came to be. And even the way the letter is written, addressing very few and mild issues within the church. So let's jump into the backstory to the letter to the Philippians. The year is AD 62. The Apostle Paul is in prison, and from all evidence, it seems like he's in prison in Rome. He refers in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 to the Praetorian Guard, which usually referred to the emperor's bodyguard. And he makes mention at the end of the letter in 422 to Caesar's household, again, which suggests he's in prison in Rome. And he's not 100% sure of what will be the outcome of his case that he's standing uh, awaiting trial for, but he's optimistic that he will be released, Lord willing. Um, And What led him to write this letter to the Philippians is this. Paul had started this church in Philippi on his second missionary journey about 10 to 11 years prior to this present imprisonment in the year 51. It's an exciting story of how the church got started, and you can read about it in the book of Acts chapter 16. Paul had been traveling through what is present-day Turkey uh, after visiting the church as he started on his first missionary journey. And he, he is wanting to go you know, north, he uh, wants to go to Ephesus, but somehow the Spirit of Jesus has told him multiple times, no, don't go there, no, don't go there. So here he finds himself sitting in the city of Troas on the northwestern coast of what is modern-day Turkey. And in the night, he receives a vision of a man from the, the region of Macedonia calling him to come and help them. And so Paul takes that obviously as a call from God to go into Macedonia. And Philippi is one of the major cities in the in Macedonia. And so the next morning they set sail and cross the Aegean Sea. And after a, a two-day sea voyage, they land at the port town of Neapolis. And then they uh, move inland to Philippi. And there we get the story of how the church got started, the very first convert in the city of Philippi, and really in what counts as Europe, is a woman by the name of Lydia, a fairly wealthy woman who had a fabric dyeing business. She dyed purple fabric, which was the color of uh, nobility, and thus we know she was fairly wealthy. And other issues are told, and other experiences are told in the book of Acts, a riot nearly started, Paul was beaten with rods in the marketplace. He was thrown in jail. Uh, He was placed in stocks. And if you know the story about midnight, he and his companions are in prison, in stocks, backs bruised and bloodied. And and they're singing praise to God in in the middle of the night. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden there's an earthquake and uh, the doors fly open, the stocks fall off. The jailer rushes in with torch, assuming all the prisoners have left and that, you know, for him, that's uh, potentially a capital offense from the Roman government. And so, but he sees they're all there and immediately he, having heard Paul singing, having heard Paul's story, immediately he assumes this man really does know the true God and he wants to know the truth. And so he asks Paul how to be saved and, um, you can read that whole story, but that's how the church gets started, and it's told there in Acts chapter 16. Well, here we are now, a decade later, um, and Paul's under arrest in presumably Rome, awaiting trial, optimistic about the outcome, but not totally sure, and under the Roman prison system, particularly when he's in house arrest, as he was in this pr imprisonment, he is responsible for his really own um food and keep. I mean, he's responsible to pay for his own room and board, but obviously he can't work. So he's really dependent on the care of his friends for his sustenance and well-being while he's under arrest. And so the church in Philippi, knowing that he's under arrest, sent a gift to Paul through a man named Epaphroditus. You can read about this in Philippians chapter 2 and uh, briefly, the gift is mentioned in Philippians chapter 4. Paul mentions he received everything they sent, sort of almost a receipt uh, of, I've received everything you sent me. And so uh, Philip, the Philippian church had sent Paul this gift through this uh, member of their church by the name of Epaphroditus. And on the way to, to Rome, where Paul is at, Epaphroditus had become sick so sick that he almost died. That's recorded in Philippians 2, 26 and 27. Well, word had somehow gotten back to Philippi that Epaphroditus had gotten sick, that he almost died. They had become concerned about this member of their church. Um, and Paul had heard about that. And so all this back and forth communication and Paul figures it's time to send Epaphroditus back to them. And it's time to tell them thank you for their gift. And so he writes this letter that we call the, the Philippian letter back to them, telling them thank you, uh, explaining that uh, Epaphroditus was ready to come back and he, he didn't fail on his mission even though he got sick. And, uh, and he, Paul is so grateful that he recovered. He mentions all of that. And in writing the letter, he takes the opportunity to uh, just affirm the church, update them on his situation and his imprisonment, um, and deal with uh, maybe just a few issues that the church are having. And so there appears to have been some mild opposition to the church in town. Um, not really sure the extent of that, but certainly there was some opposition. Paul refers to that at the end of chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 3. And, and so the church is facing some persecution, some hardship, some opposition in town. It makes sense since... Um, if you read the story in Acts 16, obviously the way the church got started with opposition, that it, it appears that there wasn't even a Jewish synagogue in Philippi where Paul met with the initial gathering of Jews was outside of the city by the river. And so Judaism itself wasn't even well established and well respected in Philippi. And now here you have this upstart religion that from the Roman perspective is a sect of Judaism and they don't even... Uh, respect Judaism. And so there, there's some opposition to the church in town. Not only that, it seems like there is at least some mild disharmony in the church. Not anything massive, but a, a little growing friction, some mild disharmony of some sort. And so Paul took this opportunity in the letter to encourage 
unity through humility within the church at Philippi. And that idea of unity through humility occurs multiple times throughout the letter and shows up in multiple ways. You see it uh, in in chapter 2, verse 14, as Paul is talking um, to the church there and really appeals to them to be unified. You see it in force at the beginning of chapter 2, where Paul says if there's you know any fellowship, any consolation of the Spirit, then he says, make my joy complete by being of one mind, uh, united in purpose. And then he tells them how to do that. You know, don't uh, consider your own interests, but think of the interests of others. You know, put on humility of mind, he says there at the beginning of chapter 2. This is unity through humility. And that's really one of the major themes that occurs throughout this letter, as Paul's trying to deal with just some mild disharmony within the church, making sure that some of the social pride that was just uh, really part of the culture and environment of Philippi didn't work its way into the church and therefore caused class and status struggles and a little bit of pride and disunity in the church. He wants to put that to bed early, and so he addresses that um, in this particular letter. Now with that, that's the backstory to the letter of, of uh, Philippians, but with that, let's just talk a few details. Where is this city of Philippi. Interestingly enough, I was uh, teaching uh, Philippians in um, Haiti a number of years ago, and um, one of the pastors, they just didn't have the education that, uh, um, you know, we often, we expect our pastors to have. They love Jesus, passionate about Jesus, zealous for good works, but um, not necessarily educated in some of the details of the biblical text. Well, one of the Pastors at this conference where I was teaching Philippians raised his hand and asked that very question, where's Philippi? Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, I can't assume that. So where is Philippi? Well, Philippi is in um, what is northern Greece in the, the uh, region of Macedonia. So if you open up your Bible to the maps in the back or you Google Philippi, you'll see in northern Greece, the little region, it almost has what looks like an M on the eastern coast to label it as Macedonia, conveniently. But this is the Roman region of Macedonia, and Philippi is about 10 miles inland from the eastern harbor town of Neapolis. And what made Philippi significant is it actually sat on a major highway that ran east and west through northern Greece, through this part of the world, and that major highway was called the Ignatian Way. Ignatian Way. You can actually Google that as well, and you'll find some pictures of the Ignatian Way, and you can actually find pictures of that roadway that ran right through Philippi that was built um, by the Romans as part of their transportation system. And so here is the city uh, sitting on a major highway, and thus it had influence. Not only that, um, this city had a distinctive history, which led to sort of a, a unique experience in Philippi. So what is Philippi like? Well, Philippi is a Roman colony. And what's important for us to understand is the Roman Empire, right, dominates the entire Mediterranean world. But just because you were part of the Roman Empire didn't necessarily mean you had the status of a Roman colony. That was a privileged and special status. And Philippi enjoys that status. And here's how it... It got it. Um, Philip of Macedon, who's the father of Alexander the Great, annexed this whole area, uh, including the city of Philippi, in about the year 357 B.C. And so that really established the city of Philippi. Well, there's a large plain outside of the city 
that became uh, pivotal in the civil war, the Roman civil war that ensued after the assassination of Julius Caesar. And on that large plain outside of the city of Philippi, the climactic battle of that civil war was fought um, and the forces of Octavian and Antony defeated the, the forces of Brutus and Cassius uh, there on the plains of Philippi. And um, Octavian, you know him in your Bible as Caesar Augustus of Luke chapter 2. Well, in the wake of that battle and in kind of the ending of that civil war, Octavian is established as now Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, and uh, to honor his military soldiers, he settled a bunch of them there in Philippi and deemed Philippi a Roman colony um, and gave it also the highest privilege a colony can have, the Ius Italicum, which meant that Philippi was going to be treated like a little piece of Italy there in Macedonia, there in northern Greece. And so its citizens were going to be citizens of Rome, which involved certain privileges. You could buy and sell property and special rates. You were exempt from the land tax and the poll tax, right? There was special protection by Roman law. And so this gave this city really this distinct history, this distinct privilege. And they were so proud of this heritage that uh, apparently, at least officially, they preferred Latin over Greek. They're in northern Greece, and yet uh, more Latin inscriptions have been found than Greek inscriptions. And so at least officially, uh, Latin was sort of the preferred language of the city. And um, the citizens, you know, who were Roman citizens within the city who wore Roman dress, and they were very proud of this Roman citizenship. And that's not a minor detail. That shows up in Acts 16 and why Paul gets arrested. Uh, the charges against him pit his Jewishness against their Romanness. And it shows up in the book of Philippians as well. As we work through the text in this commentary, uh, there will be places where their civic pride and their pride in their Roman citizenship and their history, Paul plays off of that. And he wants to make sure that very pride does not corrupt the unity within the church. And so uh, this history is really important for understanding the stories about Philippi that show up in our New Testament. Another fact about Philippi that's very important for us as we understand the situation in this letter is the city, as a Roman city, is steeped in Roman religions. Um, and so there's many different deities of the Greco-Roman world, uh, Jupiter, Juno, Minerva, Mars, Sybil, Isis, um, so all these different gods and all these different kind of cults and religions were worshipped. And a very central one and important one in Philippi was the imperial cult, the worship of the emperor. Uh, and that would make sense because of their allegiance to and their loyalty to Rome and to the emperor because of their history, because of their pride in their Roman citizenship. And so a number of inscriptions and monuments have been found that are dedicated to the worshiper of the emperor, the worship of the emperor. Um, there were priests to the deified Julius or the deified Augustus or to the deified Claudius. These are all Roman emperors, right, who have been deified and now honored as God. And Judaism seems to have been very small and treated with a certain level of distrust and disdain in town. Well, because the upstart religion following this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, is seen by these Romans as a really an offshoot of a sect of Judaism, that means this 
upstart church is going to be viewed with suspicion and distrust in town, and that leads to some of the opposition that we hear about in the letter to the church. And so there you have it. That's the city of Philippi, and that's the backstory to this letter. And so Paul writes to the church, telling them, thank you for their generous gift and for their support, and at the same time, encouraging them to be faithful both in the midst of opposition from the outside, and don't let that opposition from the outside stir up any tension, friction, and disunity on the inside uh, so that they can really uh, live in town as lights to the world, as stars showing them a better way to live life and to do life and really show them the, the new humanity that God has made in and through them by his Spirit through their faith in Jesus. So before we jump into the text of the letter, it would probably be helpful to you to sit down, grab 10 minutes and a cup of coffee or whatever you like to drink, and just read through the entire text of the letter. That's how letters are meant to be read. And as you do, pay attention to some of the, the things that um, hint at or suggest this background that we've talked about. And then um, tune into the next section where we'll begin working through the details of the text of the letter.